You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. As much as is possible, I try not to talk about things that I know nothing about. Now, sure, in conversation, I will ask questions. I'll stay curious. I like to be curious. However, the Proverbs tell us that a fool talks too much, and the preacher last week encouraged us by letting us know that our words should be few. But right now, I'm going to dive into waters that I do not know how to swim in. I'm going to talk about something that I'm clueless about. Money and finances. (laughs) For me, it's just a jumbled bunch of numbers on a page. When it's zero or negative, I know that's a bad thing. And when it's above zero, I know that is a good thing. And here are two examples of mistakes that I have made in this area. In 2009, a guy offered to give me something called a Bitcoin. It it reminds me of like those gold-covered chocolate coins, right? It sounded like fake money, like a scheme for tricksters. It was digital money. And that seemed silly. But this last week, reading through Ecclesiastes, studying it, I've been second-guessing some decisions that I've made in the past. So, I checked when I was writing this sermon, and someone had offered to give me one of these bitcoins, which back then was worth two cups of coffee, but now would be worth 207,000 rand. (laughs) Another decision that I did not make, maybe I should have, was to buy a couple of small parts of a business, uh, stocks, back in 2013, that would have cost me a lot, a thousand rand. It was too much money at the time, but now, those two things would be worth 29,000 rand. (laughs) I look back, and I think to myself, wow, how much school for my kids could that pay for? How many trips to the shop for veggies? All the car repairs that I could get done right now and not have to wait on. Uh, I've been kicking myself a little bit for it. But this is not a counseling session or a financial advisement meeting. And I don't want to just stand here and whine. I say this because there are many worse things that could happen, right? Maybe two things that are worse that we've read about or will read about. The first we heard last week, a man works his way up from nothing, he has it all, and yet he has no one to share it with. He has no one to give it to when he dies, and then others are going to plunder it. He is truly alone, and he spent so much time hoarding up wealth that to put salt in the wound, he didn't even try to enjoy it. It was folly, it was vain toil, and smoke on so many levels. Well, this week, as we finish chapter 5, we're going to see someone with a different problem. They had it all, and then they lost it all. 
And when we reach the end of our text today, this is what I want us to take away. In a complex and unjust world, we should gratefully enjoy the good gifts of God on account of Jesus. Last week, we left off with the preacher's words to us about how to approach God. First, to realize that God has already approached us and that we are surrounded by his work, whether we understand it or not, whether we choose to see his work or not. The preacher encouraged us to fear God, not to speak or act like fools when we approach him, to make sure our motives are correct when we enter his house, to be careful what we say and what we promise. However, we also mentioned last week that the writer of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus is the final temple, the, the house that we enter into to meet God. And it is in his completeness and his perfection that, that the temple pointed to. And it is in Jesus that we meet God. It is in him that we see our good, great, gracious, and merciful Heavenly Father. Our lectionary readings last week offered us not only good reason to fear and honor God, but also gave us the good news that Christ has given us refuge in him, and we have no fear and no condemnation because of him. That all who turn from themselves to Jesus are saved. The riches of Christ are bestowed on you, and you will not be put to shame simply because he invited us to call on his name. Today, starting in chapter 5, verse 8, we read this. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So verses 1 through 7 last week offered to us the place where heaven and earth meet. And in verse 8, we are back under the sun, which are the preacher's words for life in the here and now. And there are two ways that we can take these verses that we just read. The first, we could understand them positively. If you see oppression, don't be surprised. You know, sadly, that this is normal. We cannot seem to get away from it. Jesus even said that there would always be poverty. He does not approve of it, but it is a truthful statement about life under the sun. Continuing positively, don't worry, there may be oppression, but if one official is corrupt, he has a boss over him, and if they're both corrupt, then he has a boss over him. And then finally, the king over all of them has loyalty to his people and will make sure that the oppression does not get so out of hand that the fields go unplowed and unharvested. And as I'm saying this, you know that that's probably not the way that it's meant. We all know that there is a negative side to this as well. This oppression that you see around you, the holding down of the poor, 
the misuse of the law so that it hides justice and that it makes things unrighteous? Don't be surprised, the preacher says, because corruption climbs up the political ladder. But if you get a king that actually fights for his people and works to make sure his people are provided for, that is a blessing and something that you should be surprised by and thankful for. The negative reading of these verses matches the writing much better so far that we've been reading. The, 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 the smoke-like things of this world that the preacher has been describing to us. The things that should be but disappear quickly, like justice, righteousness, and a good king. It's no wonder that every movie that we watch that has politicians in it, they start off fighting for the people, and then they get greedy and power-hungry, and they oppress those same people that put them on whatever throne that they sit. A good man is hard to find. A good king is hard to find. Verses 10 through 12. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Ecclesiastes 5, 10-12. Here the preacher points us at what greed leads to. Discontentment. When the money and the stuff increases, it makes your eyes bigger than your stomach, we might say. It's never enough. And at a certain point, all you can do is look at all your stuff. You can't even use it all. <laughs> My greatest enemy in the world, maintenance constantly having to fix the few things I already have. You know, you save your money for something, and then it's great, and then it breaks, and then you have to save more money to fix it. Or, you put it aside, you replace it with something new, and pretty soon, you have two broken of the same things, right? The preacher then shifts our view, not ignoring the need or injustice in serious poverty. But he moves our minds to think about the person who works, works hard, and has no more responsibility after that. They can sleep hard and heavy in peace every night. This is what he's talking about when he talks about the sleep of a laborer. Whereas the rich person, in verse 12, has too much on his mind and he can't sleep. What did riches and success buy that person? Well, nothing but anxiety and bad sleep. Verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Wait, what? How could riches be kept and be hurting someone? Is this like last week when the person did not have family uh, to share with or or to hand the wealth down to? 
Well, maybe it's something worse. And those riches were lost in a bad business. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Here we go. The financial market fell apart. The currency bottomed out. The business failed. The factory burnt down. Your partner stabbed you in the back. The accountant stole all the money. Whatever the case is, it's all gone now. And the people that he wanted to hand it down to will get nothing. And we get a taste of the wisdom that Job taught us. As I came empty-handed into this world, this is the way that I'm going to leave. Verse 16, this is also a grievous evil. That is, it's very evil. It's a very sad evil. Just as he came, he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness, and anger. But whether you leave this world with a fat wallet or an empty one, verse 17 gives us the final picture of someone who works for nothing but the money and the reputation. They end up eating meals with no bright light of hope or even any enjoyment. They are unhappy, miserable humans that will always be confused about why they are not more happy, more satisfied, or ever content. This is the type of person who sits back and never truly sees their need for God. And if that hard day ever comes, when they lose it all, they sit back and instead choose to curse God. The preacher is pushing us to see the foolishness of that kind of thinking in life. He is pushing us to see Job's position as wise after he has lost everything and plus some. Job says uh, in uh, Job chapter 1 verses 21 to 22, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I think that most of us will never be in a position to lose that much. Because none of us at Anchored have that much. Though perhaps we would be tempted to curse ourselves for not working harder, for not taking advantage of that enriching situation. Perhaps even we would become greedy workaholics if given the opportunity. So, as an alternative, what should we do? I think we need to go back to the beginning of the chapter as our starting point. We must fear and love God. Job feared and loved God. He was a righteous man. We may never find ourselves in a story like Job's. However, whatever our story looks like, this is what we should be doing. Verses 18 to verses 21, Ecclesiastes 5. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink 
and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Every one also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is what is good. Eat, drink, and be merry while struggling through whatever hard work God has given you to do. Your days are short and there is no other way to live. So whether you have a lot or a little, the preacher here is telling you, enjoy. It's not bad to celebrate when you go through a season of life that brings a lot of financial blessing. And it is good also to take the time when you go through a lean and poor season to set aside something to enjoy. This is actually a gift of God to you. With a healthy fear and love of God also comes a joy that he gives, which gives you escape from the struggles and hardships of this world. Martin Luther wrote that the preacher is trying to get us to forget useless anxiety so that we can happily enjoy the things that are right now and not care about the things of the future or else we could let the moment that we have slip away from us. God is the giver of life, according to verse 18, and we can fear and love him by seeing the small joys in life right here, right now. Two weeks from now, we're going to be finishing Ecclesiastes, somehow. <laughs> and in chapter 9, verses 7 and 9, we, we see the same review of God's gifts to us written in this way. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Two things strike me as beautiful in all of the texts that we've read about these under the sun gifts that God gives. The first being, and you could probably guess it, the food, of course. <laughs> I love it because the joy of sitting around and enjoying food at a table with a whole party of people is something that we've all been missing lately. And yet, it is something that God intended for Adam and Eve when he said that they could eat of almost every plant in the garden. I can imagine that being a diverse and delicious meal. <laughs> the prophets picture heaven and the new heavens and the new earth with God forever as being a meal. On that last day when Christ comes and will be ushered to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where good wine and rich food is plenteous enough that every person that trusted in the Messiah as their Savior is there and enjoying the food. 
And let's not forget Jesus being accused of being a drunkard because of the people that he hung out with and apparently the people that he accepted invitations from to enjoy meals with. Or the fact that he rose from the dead to have breakfast on the beach with his disciples, even to make breakfast for them. Eat, drink, and find the joy of what is in front of you. Chapter 9 expands this, though, to bring up not only our food and our work, but also our marriages, our families. Wait a second. Wait a second. I think the preacher is trying to take us somewhere. I think the good gifts from God are trying to point us back somewhere as well. I think they're trying to point us back to Eden. To point us back to the garden and to point us forward to that last meal. Each of these opportunities that we have in this life to enjoy the gifts of God are an invitation to us to experience a small taste of life as God intended it. What did God give to Adam and Eve? He gave them each other. He gave them food and drink, and he gave them work, and he blessed it all. And here he is again, blessing those same things. The second beautiful thing here to me is the continual invitation from the preacher to see that in a complex and unjust world, we should gratefully enjoy the good gifts of God. But how? How can we really do that? Ecclesiastes is not fixing every problem that we face. We can enjoy these gifts on account of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can enjoy without guilt or, or question or fear, even in this mixed up and confused world where injustice is the normal mode of operation. This text is calling us out of our daily worries and anxieties, calling us to stop finding our God in our wallet, calling us instead to fear, love, and trust God in the way that he is designed for us to do that, by resting in and relying upon Jesus for our salvation. When we are once again able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church, we will be getting a small taste, an invitation to that large meal on the last day when we will have full and complete enjoyment of every good gift, including our salvation through Christ and being present with him without end. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unquestionable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.
Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.